Sometimes, as Christians, we find ourselves in places where we don't belong, a place that is not right for us to be. On occasion, we may find ourselves in such a place, not through any fault of our own. However, at other times, we may find ourselves in a place where we do not belong as a result of our own poor and sinful choices. At such times, we often experience God's deliverance. God helps us even when we are in situations in which we don't belong. In the scripture passage that we are in this morning, David finds himself in a place he does not belong. David was out of place in the land of the Philistines. He should not have been there. Furthermore, David was in the land of the Philistines as a result of his own poor choices. David had fled to the land of the Philistines out of a fear that David would die at the hands of Saul, even though God had promised to deliver David from the hands of Saul. David had fled to the city of Gath, to a place where before God had told him to leave and not to be there. Yet David fled to the city of Gath, and later Achish gave the city of Ziklag to David to live in. David had endeared himself to Achish by lying about raids against Judah. David had told Achish that he was raiding towns belonging to the Israelites, but in actuality he was raiding towns belonging to the Philistines. Achish believed that David was a faithful servant. This resulted in Achish completely trusting in David, so much so that David is invited by Achish to join Achish's army and for David to be Achish's bodyguard as they go to fight against the Philistines, excuse me, against the Israelites. If you'll remember in chapter 28, we were there three weeks before, we were left with a cliffhanger. In 1 Samuel 28, listen to verses 1 and 2, it reads, In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well. I will make you my bodyguard for life. That's where the story is suspended. Then we looked at the next chapter, chapter 28, in which we have Saul going to the witch of Endor. Now we're coming back to the main story of David and Achish and David being assimilated into the army of the Philistines. So now we are left with some interesting questions. Will David actually join forces with the Philistines? Will David really fight against his own people, the Israelites? Or will David end up fighting the Philistines instead? Will David's treachery, his lies, his deceit be discovered by Achish? Will David be captured and killed by the Philistines? What is going to happen? Well, as the narrative opens, we're amazed to find that David and his men are assembling to fight with the Philistine army. We're amazed because we all know that David does not belong there. That is certainly not the place where David is to be. You look at our text, 1 Samuel 29, verses 1 and 2, it reads, now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing by hundreds and by thousands, and now these words, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. So as the narrative opens, the Philistine army is assembled, and as we are getting a purview of 
the Philistine army, lo and behold, David is numbered among them, and David is affiliated with Achish. So far, things don't look very good. So what's going to happen? How is this all going to turn out? How is David going to escape the mess that he's gotten himself into through his own lies and deceit and a failure to trust in God? How can this possibly work out well? Will God spare David once again? And if he does, how in the world is God going to do it? And so we are faced with the question of the hour, one of great importance and consequence, one of the greatest questions of all time. Now, I know it's been said that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Let me tell you, there are stupid questions. I know because I've asked a few of them. But there are some very profound questions. And in our text, we have one of those very profound questions. It's given to us in verse 3. The commanders of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? As they are taking assessment of the soldiers, the commanders see David and his men affiliated with Achish, and the commanders said, what are these Hebrews doing here? The commanders realized they didn't belong. This was not a place for David and his men. They clearly did not belong. So this morning, we are going to look at lessons from God's delivering David from a place in which he did not belong. How God is going to wonderfully intervene in this particular circumstance and hardship. We will get to the lessons at the end of the message. First, we will work through the narrative verse by verse to simply understand the situation at hand. The application, as I say, will come at the end. So as the narrative opens, David is with the Philistine army as the commanders overlook the soldiers, they discover that David and his men are present with Achish, and so they ask the question, what are these Hebrews doing here? Achish is the one that has to answer that question, and Achish defends the decision to have David and his men join the fight, verse 3. The commanders said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. He says, There's no problem with David being here. He's been faithful. He's been loyal to me over a period of time. However, the commanders of the army are not buying it and are upset with Achish, verse 4. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. How could you be so stupid, is their thought. He doesn't belong here. And the commanders of the decision of the, excuse me, the commanders of the army make a decision. Verse 4. Send the men back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. Send him away. Don't let him be a part of this battle. Then we're given the reasons for the commander's decisions. They say he should be sent back first because David might turn and fight against the Philistines in the heat of the battle. Middle of verse 4. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. He may turn sides in the very midst of the battle, and he who is fighting for us may fight against us. They argue that that just makes common sense. Last sentence of verse 4. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? 
Wouldn't that be with the heads of the men here? They say, David has been in the outs with Saul. How is David going to repair the relationship that he has to Saul? What better way than for him to fight against us and kill us? It makes no sense. Achish should not forget who David is, verse 5. Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands? This person who's killed tens of thousands of Philistines, you're going to invite him now to fight with the Philistines? It's ludicrous in the minds of the commanders. So Achish breaks the news to David that he is not welcome to fight against the Israelites. And Achish is apologetic, for he does not see any reason for David to not accompany the Philistines into battle. Verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and with me in the campaign. As far as I'm concerned, David, the right decision here is for you to fight with us. And the reason is, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. But Achish says the decision is out of his hands. End of verse 6. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not approve of you. So Achish asks David to return to Ziklag. Verse 7. So go back now. And he begs David not to make a fuss. He says, go back now and go peaceably. <laughs> Don't raise a ruckus. Don't get upset. Whatever you do, don't fight against us. Just go home. Go home. And go home peaceably. And then he says at the end of verse 7, So you do not displease the lords of the Philistines. Act this way so that you can be in favor with the Philistines. That they're going to look favorably upon you. Now, David must have felt a tremendous sense of relief at this point to realize that he's just going to be able to return home and all of the potential problems are going to be lifted. However, David protests that he is being mistreated and that he should be allowed to fight. Probably a continuation of his ruse, of his lies, of his deceit uh, to make Achish think that David's on his side. Verse 8, David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? So David protests and says, This isn't right. This, is, this isn't fair. I'm being mistreated. You are treating me like the enemy, and I've been nothing but faithful to you. You should allow me to fight. Once again, Achish says there's nothing that he can do. <coughs> First of all, <coughs> excuse me. First of all, Achish agrees that David is being mistreated. Verse 9. Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Oh, wow. David, I know you've done nothing wrong. You, you, you've been a saint. You've been terrific. <laughs> You've been like an angel of God. You, you've been God's blessing to me, Achish says of David. And once again, Achish says there's nothing that he can do about the decision. End of verse 9. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, you shall not go up with us to the battle. I can't help you, David. They just won't let you fight. Then Achish tells David that David must return to Ziklag. Verse 10. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you 
and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David returns to Achish, excuse me, so David returns as Achish instructed him, verse 11. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Well, that's the narrative. As I say, one can only imagine that David must have felt a tremendous sigh of relief. He dodged the bullet. Things could not have turned out any better than what they did. David is spared. David is spared from fighting against Israel. David is spared from the Philistines. And David is even spared from his treachery against Achish being discovered. That's the narrative. The question is, what are we to learn from this? What, what, what are the great takeaways? How are we to understand the events that have taken place? Well, the great takeaways are lessons that are to be learned from God's deliverance of David. Lessons that we need to apply to our own life and lessons that we need to apply to what God is doing in the nation of Israel. Lessons to be learned from God's deliverance of David. First, we are to learn that God often delivers silently. God often delivers silently. For the most part, God is not mentioned in the narrative. David does not refer to God at all in these 11 verses. But what is more striking is that the narrator does not refer to God either. There is no mention by the one who is narrating the story, the events, of any activity on the part of God. It doesn't talk about God softening the heart of Achish. It doesn't say that God intervened. It doesn't mention God at all. Oddly enough, it's only Achish that makes a reference to God. Achish makes one clear reference to God and one veiled reference. The the clear reference is in verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives. And if you notice, the word Lord is in all capitals. And when the word Lord is in all capitals, it means that the Hebrew word is Jehovah. He refers to the God of Israel. He refers to Jehovah God. And he says, as Jehovah God lives, as as God is the sovereign God who lives and oversees this world, you have been honest. You've been honest. Now, his assessment is completely wrong. David has been totally dishonest. David has been lying to him from day one. But it's interesting that Achish is ascribing what he believes is honesty when in fact it's falsehood to God. So Achish is saying, David, I know how faithful you are to God. When David has been totally unfaithful to God in all of these circumstances. So one must ask the question, why in the world would Achish be calling upon Jehovah? The answer is because David is a servant of Jehovah. But David has been a terrible servant of which Achish is unaware. And then secondly, there's this veiled reference to God. Verse 9, And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. As an angel of God. I understand that genitive angel of God as meaning as sent by God. As sent by God. David, I know God has sent you here. (laughs) God didn't tell David to go to Israel. David isn't seeking to do the bidding of God. 
David is there because he's afraid. He's there in disobedience. He's there out of all the wrong motives. But Achish believes that David is serving God in all of this, and that in turn, then that God is on their side. That God is blessing the Philistines. That this is God's doing. So how are we to view the silence with respect to God? We've been emphasizing these past few weeks that God's providence is God's invisible hand at work. You will remember that I spoke of the Puritans as describing God's providence as his invisible hand that is at work. It's invisible for its, it's imperceivable. You, you can't see it. You can't see it, but it's there. It's there. And in our passage, there's no reference to God's activity, but it is clearly there. It is clearly there. You must see the providence of God. David is not just lucky. Achish is not simply stupid or naive. God is overseeing the events and circumstances that are taking place. God is delivering David. And what is most striking is that it appears that David himself fails to see the providence of God at work in this. We are going to discover that from the next chapter. In the next chapter, we're going to see God's providence revealed. We're going to see the activity of God. We're going to see what God is accomplishing and doing. But right now, the hand is invisible, but he's at work. He's at work. At this point, David may have been chuckling to himself. David may have been patting himself on the back. How ingenious he is. How crafty he is. How cunning he is. What an incredible plan that he had established. And how wonderfully it all worked out. My, isn't David shrewd? Hadn't he made a series of tremendous decisions? Well, the answer is no. No. That's not the case at all. So the first application is that we must not lose sight of God's providence. We must not lose sight of God's goodness. How God overcomes and surmounts our own disobedience, our own sinful choices, and in actuality delivers us from many consequences that our decisions could have resulted in. For example, the Word of God teaches us that we are not to be unequally yoked together. We're not to be married, a believer to an unbeliever. And yet I know many people who were believers that have married unbelievers, and it has resulted in a, a wonderful marriage. It has resulted in a life of bliss. And one could easily come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter whether or not one follows the commands of God. One could come to the conclusion that they knew better at that particular instance that this person was right for them. We must understand that God is providential, that God is good, that God delivers us time and time again from our own choices of situations that we find ourselves in that could be tremendously detrimental to ourselves and the cause of Christ. And yet God intervenes. And yet God intervenes. But don't lose sight that it is God who's intervened. That it isn't just luck. It isn't just good fortune. It isn't just coincidence. No, it's 
our God at work. Secondly, we're to learn that God delivers graciously. God delivers graciously. God delivers even when we don't deserve to be delivered. David did not deserve to be spared by God. And it's important that we understand in this text that God is not rewarding David for David's faithfulness when God delivers him. David acted in such a way that it was disgraceful. David had been disobedient to God. David should never have fled to Achish and the city of Gath in the first place. That was wrong. Secondly, David's behavior while in Gath was sinful. David had been given the city of Ziklag, and while David was in Ziklag, he was raiding the Philistine cities, and he was killing everyone that could have been a witness against him so that his lies would not be found out. And after raiding all the different Philistine cities, he would go to King Achish and say that he'd been raiding against the towns of Judah. And so he'd been lying. He'd been conniving. He'd been cheating. And now, in the particular circumstance in which we find ourselves today, in this instance of David being a part of the Philistine army, David really pushes the envelope with Achish in his bold-faced lie of being innocent of all wrongdoing. In verse 8, David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day that I entered your service until now, that I may not go out and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? David says, What evil have I done? Well, he's lied, he's killed, he's done all kinds of things. And he says, I am the servant of my lord, the king. He's referring to Achish. He's saying, I am your servant. And he says, that I may not go out and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. He's saying, your enemies are my enemies. He's referring to the Israelites. He's referring to his own people. He's referring to those that the army has assembled to fight. David says, I am your man. And I'm against those Israelites. David doesn't just push the envelope with Achish by these outlandish claims. Understand that he's pushed the envelope with God. God hears this. God's ears are open. David says, Achish, I'm your servant. Not God's servant. He says to Achish, your enemies are my enemies. He's saying, the people of God are my enemies too. Why can't I fight? Now, does David really believe all that? I hope not. But the point is, that is what he says. No testimony there. No honor and glory to God there. And God hears it all. God is aware of it all. God sees it all. God knows it all. And in spite of that, God is going to deliver David. David comes out smelling like a rose. David is perceived as the one who is wronged. It almost seems at this point that David's deceit and wrongdoing is rewarded by God. Let me say that again. It almost seems as though David's deceit and wrongdoing is rewarded by God. 
there are a number of theological concepts that are associated with the idea of merit, of merit, of deserving reward. There is what is referred to as condigned, C-O-N-D-I-G-N-E-D, condigned merit. That is merit that is deserved, that when one has done that which is good, when one does that which is right, then God rewards our faithful actions and obedience. Then there is what is known as congruous merit. Congruous merit is merit that is not earned, but it refers to a merit that uh, is deemed to be appropriate. That is, when we act in ways that please the Lord, and thus God acts in ways that are in keeping with what we would expect. That is, not that it is necessarily earned, or, or that is that God is any way obligated to bless us, but it doesn't surprise us that God would bless us as a result of the choices we have made. For example, Proverbs 16:7 states, "When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him." Let me say that again. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That doesn't mean that God has to do that, but it's consistent. It's consistent. It is congruous. It's in keeping. It's what we might expect. And that is that if you do that which is pleasing to the Lord, that he oftentimes then makes even our enemies to be at peace with us. But this is an even congruous merit. For David had not done that which pleases the Lord. David had not done that which incites God's pleasure. God does not enjoy David's lies. He isn't praised by David's feigned obedience to Achish and his rejection of God and God's people. Certainly that doesn't bring joy to the heart of God. Nevertheless, nevertheless, God delivers David from his enemies. But you must understand that David is not being delivered because of what he has done. David is being delivered despite what he has done. This is purely a gracious, undeserved, unmerited, unrewarded deliverance of David by God. Now, why do I stress that to such a degree? Well, first of all, in application, it's important for us to understand that David is not being held up to us as a role model at this point, as an example to be followed that his actions and behaviors are to be imitated by us. They are not. They're to be rejected. They're to, we are to be repulsed by what David did. We aren't to learn that this is how we respond as Christians, that when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we lie, we kill, we do all kinds of dastardly things, and then we lie about our affiliation with God and God's people. No, that's not what we learn from this passage. That's not what God wants us to do. This is not about reward. This is not about faithfulness. This is about grace. Unmerited favor. God's goodness in the midst of our disobedience. And God is to be thanked for his gracious 
deliverance. Psalm 107, listen to these words, starting at verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction, were in hard places. David was in a real bind because of his deceitfulness. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their enemies and their distress. But here, David doesn't even cry to the Lord. He doesn't even ask for God's deliverance, and yet God delivers him. Now, the story isn't over yet, and when we get to the next chapter, God is going to bring David to his knees, and David's going to cry out and ask for God's help, but it hasn't happened yet. But God still delivers David. So, what are we to learn? That we are to be thankful for the Lord's gracious deliverance of ourselves. Think in times past. Think of situations that you have been in as a result of your own sinful choices. Of hardships, of difficulties. And things could have turned out so much worse than what they did. But God intervened. Not because you deserved it, but because he's loving and gracious and he keeps his promises and he watches over his own. Be thankful. Be thankful. And whatever you do, don't ascribe the situation of deliverance as being a result of your own cunning, your own craftiness, your own pulling your wool over others, including God. No, God knows. God sees. But God is gracious. God is gracious. The third lesson that we're to learn is that God delivers in very unexpected ways. Of all the ways in which one might anticipate that God would work, I would submit to you that this would be last on the list. It is unexpected that the enemies of David would be his deliverer. David had gotten himself into a real mess with Achish. Who would have thought that this Achish, this person that David had been lying to, had been deceiving, had been manipulating, would not have found David out and would have remained loyal to David. David is defended by Achish, verse 3. Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is not this David the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he has deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. The protector is Achish. That's the one, remember, Achish a few chapters earlier, is seeking to kill David, and David flees from him by letting spittle run down his face and pretending to be mad. This king that wanted to kill David is now defending David. Who would have thought that it would have been the commanders of the Philistine armies that God would use to get David out of his dilemma? Verse 9, Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commander of the, and now notice this word, if you mark your Bible, circle it, Philistines have said, he shall not go out with us in battle. Attention is drawn to the fact that it is the Philistine commanders that have made this decision. It doesn't just simply say the commanders of the army. It's pointing out that these are the Philistines. It's the Philistines that say that he should not fight with them. And it is the Philistines that say, send them home. Send them home. It could not have worked out better 
And it was extremely unforeseen. It is an example of what we read in Ephesians chapter 3, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. David never thought of the way in which God could deliver him. He never even asked that God worked. We're to see how incredible God is. Isaiah 59 verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. 1 Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan said, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. God can do it. God can do it. And God does it. In the most unexpected way. Learn that God can deliver us in very unexpected ways. You can be trusted. When you can see no way out. When you can see no end in sight. When you are at wit's end. Because of the decisions you have made, God can intervene. God can turn the situation around. And the enemy can become our deliverer. He sets a feast before us in the presence of our enemies. The fourth lesson is that God delivers completely. God delivers completely. We must not lose sight that David is a real pickle as the narrative opens. He is a mess and appears there's no way out. And we must understand that first, God spares David's life and delivers him from the hands of the Philistines. It is amazing. I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's amazing that the leaders would send David back to Ziklag rather than to have David killed or at least taken captive. It's incredible that they just let him waltz out of there. If you'll notice in verse 5, it says, Is this not David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Remember, this is an army that is gathered together to fight the Israelites. And the greatest champion of the Israelites is right there, in their midst. David, who they've been trying to, to kill for years. David, who had fought against Goliath, who was from the city of Gath, where Achish lived and ruled. David had killed ten thousands of Philistines. They just alluded to it. Why would they let him go? Why wouldn't they say, you got to pay? It's the grace of God. It's God's protection. Because God had promised that David would be king over Israel. It's the only answer. It's the only answer. God delivers and protects David from the Philistines. Not only does God spare David from the Philistines, but God spares David from the battle in which many people were killed. That battle is going to be described in chapter 31. Saul is going to be killed in that battle. Jonathan is going to be killed in that battle. All of Saul's family is going to be killed in that battle. The Israelites are going to be captured. It does not go well. David is spared. But he doesn't enter into that fight. He doesn't have to go there. He goes home. 
Don't lose sight of this one. God spares David from his moral dilemma of fighting against his own people. David has allowed himself to get into a situation where he's actually assembled with the army that's going to go out against Israel. At this point, David hasn't stood up yet. At this point, David hasn't had any backbone. What what is he going to do? When is he going to stand up? David is spared from even making a choice. Who knows what David would have done? How can we be sure? Would David actually have fought against his people? We certainly hope he wouldn't. We hope he wouldn't. Would David actually fight against the Philistines? We hope that he would. But we don't know. We don't know. And the reason we don't know is David was spared from even having to make the choice. He was ordered to leave. He didn't sneak away. He didn't stand on his integrity and say, I can't fight this fight. No. David says, let me fight, let me fight, let me go. I want to go. I want to be faithful to you. Get out of here, David. Go home. We don't want anything to do with you. God spares David even from his moral dilemma. God delivered David out of all of his troubles. Out of the immediate hands of the Philistines. Out of having to go into battle. Out of his moral dilemma. After Saul's chasing after David. All of it, all of it, all of it. God delivers. Isn't God good? Conclusion. Well, first of all, let us keep in mind some important lessons regarding God's deliverance. That is that God's deliverance is often silent. Invisible hand of God's providence at work. Don't miss it. Understand that God's deliverance is gracious. God delivers us despite the fact that we don't deserve it. Don't think that God rewards iniquity, that God rewards sin. He doesn't. But God is gracious, and God delivers us even from our own sinful choices and actions. Thirdly, God delivers us in unexpected ways. Ways that we can't imagine. Don't think that the end has come because you cannot see a way out. God can bring a way out even in extraordinary ways, such as making our enemies be at peace with us. And lastly, God delivers completely. God delivers completely. in ways that so often we don't even think about in our own lives. Think of how miserable our lives could be. Just think about where some of our choices could have ended up. The consequences to our actions that haven't materialized. And think about how often it is that we could have easily made the wrong choice. We were spiritually weak. We would have given in, but God intervened. God spared us from our own moral dilemma. And God didn't allow our sinful choices to even materialize. Isn't God good? Isn't God gracious? Two great takeaways. First, maybe this morning as a Christian you find yourself in a situation in which you do not belong. It may be through no fault of your own, or it may be as a result of your own bad choices. But you're in a situation, and and you're saying to yourself, as a Christian, I know I shouldn't be doing this. As a Christian, I know I shouldn't be engaged in this activity. As a Christian, I know I shouldn't have these friends. As As a Christian, I know that what I'm doing right now is wrong, but I don't know what to do about it. I've gotten myself into this mess, and I don't see a way out. Ask God to deliver you. Ask God to help you. Ask God to intervene. Ask God to give you wisdom. 
Ask God to be gracious. Ask God to save you from the consequences of your own decisions. Cry out to God. Trust in him. We'll see that more profoundly next week. And perhaps this morning, you can reflect upon a situation in which, as a, requ- as a Christian, you found yourself in a situation that you know you did not belong in. Yet God spared you. God delivered you. God acted in your behalf. Maybe you never stop and thank God. Maybe instead you thanked your lucky stars. Or you chuckled to yourself and said that your scheming and your craftiness got you out of trouble once again. Thank God. Thank God for his invisible hand of providence. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great goodness to us. Help us to trust in you. May you be our deliverer in times in which we find ourselves in situations in which we do not belong, especially when we find them as a result of our own sinful choices. And we become at wit's end. We see the consequences. We are faced with moral dilemma. Lord, we don't know what to do. Be our deliverer. Be our fortress. Be our strong tower. May we run to you. May you deliver us. And may we be careful to give you the honor and glory and the praise. And may we exalt you in your graciousness and your goodness to us and your faithfulness even when we are unfaithful. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.